So why don't you grab your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 10. (laughs) Mark chapter 10. Last time we talked about um, being men of maturity uh, last month. And, um, you know, there's a time to move on to maturity and go from child, childish things, you know, to uh, things that God would have us to do. And um, part of that maturity is that, uh, of, that a man be a man of faith. And that's what I'd like to cover today is be, being men of faith. Um, and uh, I think that's an important thing for us to think about, talk about this morning. Um, you know, when I, uh, as someone uh, who kind of loves history and uh, there's parts of history that I really like, um, I, th- I think, um, you know, the Civil War era is one that I've often, you know, spent a, a, quite a bit of time studying and, and, you know, the cowboy days, you gotta love the cowboy days. Uh, kind of wish we'd go back to that sometimes um, but in some ways. Uh, you know, um, there used to be a day where if you insulted someone uh, or said something stupid, you might get shot for it. I think that's a good idea. Um, um, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little old school on that, but... <laughs> One of the, the uh, old stories uh, that I, that I uh, liked because it happened, uh, some of it in Southern Oregon. I, I love local history too, you know, like, like to me it's cool that Boone's Ferry was Daniel Boone's grand, grandson who ran the ferry. Like that's pretty cool. Um, but one of the local things when I was growing up as a kid, uh, there was an outlaw uh, whose name was Black Bart. I brought a picture of Black Bart. Um, and um, Black Bart was a guy who um, robbed Wells Fargo stagecoaches. Uh, uh, he, he was born in 1829, he died in 1888, but um, his name was actually Charles E. Bowles. Um, the reason he was known as Black Bart is he, um, he would wear uh, black clothes with a black um, gunny sack over his head with holes cut in the gunny sack. Um, um, but he was noted for a couple things, one, he was noted for uh, uh, leaving poems behind uh, his, his robberies. Uh, and he was considered, uh, the weird part about it, he, he, he had a reputation for style and sophistication. <laughs> you can tell by his mustache, by the way. I think that's a fine mustache, that guy's styling right there. Um, but he was one of the most notorious stage robbers. Uh, he robbed like 50 su- uh, Southern Oregon, Northern California, uh, Wells Fargo's, um, you know, and uh, they, they started bolting the boxes to the floor of the stagecoach just so that he would, but he just unbolted them. Like, like he would just sit around and leave people waiting while he uh, unbolted the boxes. Um, but uh, one of the poems he left behind was this one. Here I lay me down to sleep to wait the coming morrow. <clears throat> perhaps success, perhaps defeat and everlasting sorrow. Yet come what will, I'll try it once. My conditions can't be worse. And if there's money in that box, tis money in my purse. <laughs> then he, and he walked away with the box of uh, Wells Fargo money. Um, but, you know, kind of a funny thing. He, he carried a shotgun, uh, but that's, he never fired it. And all of his 50 robberies never uh, shot anyone or anything like that. Kind of interesting guy. Um, now, uh, he had his problems. All his poems kind of talked about how I need money. I'm, I'm short on cash, so that's why I'm robbing this stagecoach. And that's basically what his poems would say. But I, I find that interesting because um, people handle things differently when you're in trouble and difficult days. Um, but instead of um, Black Bart, I'd like to tell you guys about Blind Bart. 
uh, Blind Bart, and uh, he had the same problem. He had no money, but he was even in more of a horrible situation uh, as we come to him in the Bible here in Mark chapter 10. Let's take a look. Blind Bart is the guy we're looking at today. Um, it says in, in chapter 10, starting in verse 46, it says, and, uh, this is Jesus and his disciples. It says in verse 46, they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho, um, short little trip to Jericho, in and out. Uh, maybe there's an in and out burger there, I don't know. Uh, they came to Jericho and then he went out of Jericho uh, with his disciples and a great number of people. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man saying unto him, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he casting away his garment rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Blind Bart, interesting story here of a guy who's in bad trouble and he's a beggar by the side of the road. Um, and he's got his own struggles, you know. Um, and, and uh, you know, as I kind of think about these Bible characters, one of the things that, you know, a good Bible student will do is remember that these Bible stories are largely about us. Um, it's funny how people um, tend to, you know, put, put ourselves in, in the types of the Bible, especially the, the good ones, the ones we like. I kind of remind myself of, oh, Samson. You know, because, or, or I, I kind of like to think of myself as, you know, Moses or Paul or, you know, even David. But do you ever think of yourself as the adulterous woman? Uh, a lot of you guys are like, uh, no. <laughs> but, but we're the adulterous woman. Or in the story of the prodigal, you know, some of us would say, oh, I'm the prodigal who returned, but are you the older brother in the story that was just upset that the prodigal was being allowed back in? Like, there's all these other sort of not so fun characters of the Bible that you're kind of like, yeah, that's not really me. But, but I, I, I'm learning that some of the most uh, troubled of Bible characters, well, that is me. Um, and I need to see uh, what it is that I, I can learn and glean from these stories and say, Lord, am I the blind man? Um, am I a blind beggar? Um, and as it turns out, the Bible does give us all kinds of truth about this sort of uh, thing. For example, um, are you poor? Now, some of you might say, well, Brett, um, you know, we're anything but poor as far as you know, the world scale of poverty goes. Um, as it turns out, um, the Bible tells us that we are poor, uh, especially those of us that are rich. What do you mean, Brett? Well, there's this irony, you know. Uh, remember the psalmist, David? Um, was he poor technically? Well, he was the king. Uh, he had gold and servants and a palace. Uh, but, but it's funny because there in Psalm 34, 6, David said, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Um, you know, David knew his poverty in, in a different sense. Um, do you remember in the book of Revelation, the, uh, the church at Laodicea? 
Um, they were a wealthy town. Of all the Bible cities, Laodicea goes down as one of the more wealthy of all the towns. But it says um, in Revelation 3, 14, um, Jesus says, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. Um, he says, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. But verse 17 here is where it goes uh, more about their poverty. It says, but thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The church at Smyrna, you know, um, earlier in the list of the churches there in Asia Minor mentioned in Revelation, um, the church at Smyrna was the persecuted church and they were in literal poverty. But the Lord says to them, you think you're poor, but you're actually rich. Isn't it funny? The economy of God is very different than that of us uh, and what we think is rich or poor. But, but here's these wealthy Laodiceans. The Lord says, actually, you think you're rich, but you're actually wretched and miserable, poor, blind and naked. So in some ways we have to ask the Lord, well, what does that mean? I mean, if the Laodiceans were poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked, what does that mean about Americans? Because as you look at the panoramic view of the seven churches of Asia Minor, you see that they're talking about ages of church history as well, which are a really fascinating list when you look at it in light of church history. We've done studies on that, by the way. If you're interested, you can you know, go to our Revelation studies that we've done. Um, but but, but that, that's the question. Are we the ones who are actually in poverty? I remember in Africa, um, you know, I was in the middle of the bush and talking to the African people and, and um, you know, they were asking, oh, Brett, pray that we get televisions, you know? And I was like, oh, you don't know what you, you're talking about. You don't want television. Um, and they thought, well, we could preach the gospel and people would have TVs and we could do like you Americans, you know? And, and um, but and, and, and in some ways I was like, yeah, that, that'll ruin you guys. It's, it's ruined us, you know? Um, but one of the things that they, they understood though is while we have our TVs, our African brothers, they would say, but Brett, we are praying for you guys because we know that you guys are rich, but you, you really are poor. And they actually acknowledged like this, this uh, Laodicean kind of problem that we have in America. Um, we think we're rich, but we're actually poor. We're, we're poor, not necessarily with money, but in a lot of other things, um, we're spiritually poor and blind and naked. Um, and that's the problem. So in a sense, we can look at blind Bartimaeus in his, in his poverty and say, we're the poor man in the story. Um, also, we're the blind man. Even this scripture says, wretched, you know, you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind. That's the second part of this, you know, we're blind. Um, <laughs> um, you know, we're poor and blind. Uh, it's interesting because... Um, the, the being poor can, can put you actually in a good place when you kind of have nothing. Uh, you have nothing to worry about. Uh, you have nothing to be stressed out over. Uh, I've, I've, I've noticed the richer we are, the more serious we tend to be and, and grave and we lose our sense of humor and we lose a little bit of joy when we're uh, rich uh, and, and think we see and all this stuff. There's a great old um, uh, poem about uh, being poor. Yeah, the poem goes like this. Blessed be nothing, remarked the wise sage. Be glad if you've nothing in this day and age, for nothing is something that cannot be stole nor dropped from your pocket or your pocket's small hole. Nothing is something 
The bank cannot lose. The creditors seize, nor burglars abuse. Folks who have nothing really should love it, for nothing is something the neighbor, neighbors won't covet. <laughs> nothing is something that won't collect dust. You don't have to hide it nor protect it from rust. So if you've nothing, be glad. Sing a song for when leaving this earth, you can take it along. <laughs> I like that. Um, as Christians, you know, um, maybe uh, being a person of poverty can actually be a blessing. We're poor and we're blind. Um, you know, there's some interesting things about spiritually blind that we can talk about, you know, um, um, Samson, when Samson was, you know, sinning and, and doing his own thing and he ended up, you know, sin leads to blindness. I remember when Samson's eyes were poked out there in Judges 13 through 16, that whole story about Samson, you know, um, sin blinds you and it also binds you. Remember they bound him with chains and fetters and then he was grinding. Sin blind binds grinds. It's a great teaching. If you ever wanna do a family devo, there you go. Three points, uh, sin binds, blinds and grinds. Uh, that's what Samson happened to Samson. But, um, but this idea of being spiritually blind, well, we see that in Ephesians 4, 17. It says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. See, it's, it's not just a blindness of the eyes, it's a blindness of the heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. There's a spiritual blindness the Bible talks about, and it even refers to it as the, um, the, the blindness of the heart. First, uh, Second Peter chapter one, verse five um, reminds us, it says, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and knowledge temperance, uh, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see far off and hath forgotten that he has purged from his old sins. What things, if you, if you lack what things? Patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity or love. Um, if those things are in you, you're good to go. But if you don't have those things, you're, you're blind. Any of us in this room blind men? If, if this verse is true, which it is, do we lack temperance, patience? Do we uh, need to be more godly? Well, I think all of us in this room would admit, uh, yeah, we lack those things. We need to improve upon those things. If you're saying, no, Brad, I pretty much can check each one of those boxes, um, then you've got pride and we have other issues. Um, but <laughs> we'll talk about that another, another time. So. You look at this blind Bartimaeus and, and I start to feel like, Lord, um, I am blind Bart. I'm blind and poor because of my sin and because of my attitude and because of my unwillingness to be who you want me to be. And I find myself, you know, the blind beggar in the story. And, and, and so um, when I see how blind Bart gets help, I realize that that's what I need to do as a man. I need to learn from the blind beggar of what, what it is that, that gets him back to wholeness where he's doing good. And I think this story is tucked away here in Mark chapter 10 for guys like us on a Saturday morning to meditate on, think about the way this guy approaches um, Jesus and what Jesus was able to do for him. And I, I would say to any one of us, 
no matter what situation you're in, um, if blind Bart can be helped by Jesus, I believe you and I can be helped in the same way. Uh, Our spiritual blindness and our spiritual poverty can be fixed and helped as we look at this guy. Um, There's six observations I wanna point out about blind Bart. Um, And you can jot these things down in your notes or if you're a Bible writer, you can write it next to the verses here because I think this might be helpful for you uh, as you're trying to draw near and be men of faith. Um, This guy really is a man of faith. And the reason I know that is um, if if you just see what Jesus said at the end of the story, Um, Jesus said in verse verse 52, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. What was it that made this guy whole? The blind beggar, his faith, he had faith. Um, So we need to kind of observe his faith and see what kind of faith he had. Um, And that brings us to point number one, his faith that we see demonstrated by blind Bartimaeus, his faith came by hearing. I think, wouldn't you say we can fairly, you know, risk conjecture that this guy didn't get his faith by seeing? (laughs) He's a blind guy. Um, But his faith actually came by hearing. It says that in verse 47, at the very beginning of verse 47, it says, um, and when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. Um, And by the way, this is what the Bible teaches us, that faith cometh by hearing. It's Romans 10, 17. You guys know this verse. Some of you have been around this for a while. You know this is true. How does faith come to a man like us, men like us? Um, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's sort of a a funny way of putting it uh, in our modern way of saying things. But basically saying there's kind of, there's a couple things that happen. Faith comes by hearing, but but hearing what, just anything? No, faith comes by hearing and hearing then by the word of God. So the the word of God has to be given out. And then when a man hears the word, um, uh, then he gets to have that faith built up. If you've ever been at a place in your life where you kind of think, man, I doubt my faith sometimes. I'm not even sure I believe in God. I'm not even sure I trust that God cares or if there is a God, then um, does he really care about me? And you can find yourself sort of wavering in, in weakness, um, and, and you have to ask yourself, what do I need to do to get back to where I have real working faith? Um, the answer is pretty simple. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You gotta get in the word. Um, you know, there's all this talk about why you know, millennials or Gen Zers are leaving the church in the droves. And we're not seeing that at Athey Creek, thank the Lord. We're seeing a lot of young people come into the Lord and accepting Christ and faith being built. It's really cool, I love that. But, um, but, but when you know, the, the church tries to diagnose the problem, I'm always kind of shocked at how they misdiagnose. Um, you know, the church over the years has made such goofy um, attempts to sort of draw young people in. We need to be hipper and cooler. Uh, let's, let's have our music try to reach more of the younger crowd. And so a bunch of old guys trying to make hip and cool music. Um, doesn't come off that way. Uh, the, I've noticed when the church tries to be hip and cool, they're usually about five or 10 years behind the times. It's like, uh, well, look, look at us, how cool we are. Come to our church and maybe your faith will be built by our smoke and our lights uh, and, and our fancy band and all the things we're doing. No, that's not gonna build faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's, a, it's, it's, it's funny, it shouldn't be a secret, but it is. One of the best kept secrets is how do you build your faith? Man, you feed the word to people. And if, if, if people have the word of God, then faith will naturally be built up. And 
I think that's a, one of the secrets a lot of people haven't really figured out. Um, but faith comes by hearing, not by seeing. Um, in fact, it's interesting, uh, seeing never really produces real faith. Uh, I'll believe it if I can see it, people say. Um, when you look at the Bible stories, did miracles make people believe? You know what's amazing is miracles, you, you know, I've, I've been guilty of thinking, oh Lord, if I could just see a massive miracle, then I would believe. And, and you know what's funny is I have seen miracles in my lifetime, not, not lots and lots of them, but I have seen people healed of sickness and cancer and doctors that are like, man, we saw a tumor and it's not there anymore. Uh, we don't have any explanation. I mean, we've had that here at Athey Creek when the elders were praying, anointing with oil, praying for it. We've seen that, not every time, but we have seen the Lord powerfully heal people. Um, we've seen, you know, really cool miracles. But, you know, like, I, I, I remember as a young, if I could just see the parting of the Red Sea or something like that on the scale of, you know, a little bigger scale than just, uh, is there a tumor or no tumor? I don't know. I want to see that. I want to see fire from heaven or I want to see, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. I like that. Uh, multiplication of food. Uh, let's, let's, uh, <laughs> let's just see, you know, uh, hamburgers just kind of pop out. And that sounds great, Lord. I'll see that miracle and believe. But as it turns out, that doesn't ever produce faith. The, the, the town that Jesus did the most miracles in was Capernaum there on the Sea of Galilee. And the men of Capernaum rejected him. After seeing all the miracles, the withered hand guy, you see his hand healed, they still didn't believe. And, and many miracles, and Jesus had a hard word to say to them. He said, woe unto you Chorazin, Bethsaida, and, and, and Capernaum. Because you've seen all these works done here, but you still don't believe. It, it, um, and he, and he kind of compares them. He said, you know, uh, it, it's, it was, it's gonna be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for you guys. Because you had me, the son of God, performing miracles in your town. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have that. They got wiped out. And so are you, you're gonna be wiped out too. And, and what's amazing is Capernaum still to this day lies in desolation and ruin, just like Jesus prophesied upon it. Faith comes by hearing, not by seeing. Seeing stuff. Do you remember uh, old uh, Thomas, the, the disciple? He's called Doubting Thomas. I think sort of unfairly. Uh, when we get to heaven, Thomas will be up there tapping his foot saying, why do you, do you guys keep calling me Doubting? Because he really did have quite faith and he, he was very faithful in a lot of ways. Um, but he gets it from this story in John 20, 26 uh, through 29. Um, after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, remember Thomas said, I'll believe him that Jesus rose from the grave when I can see him. And now all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them. Doesn't go through the door. He just kind of appears before them. That, that's quite a trick. Um, and now Thomas is standing there after saying, I'll believe it if I could put my finger in the hole of his hand. Uh, that's what I'll do. I, I bet there's some of you guys in here that are very Thomas-esque. Uh, but, but Thomas is there saying, I'll believe it when I see it. But then Jesus turns, peace be unto you. And he turns to Thomas, verse 27, and says, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered it and said unto him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. The word blessed is happy. The happier man just has faith to believe the things you don't see. 
Um, by the way, there's a thing that people miss in this little dissertation. When Thomas sees the resurrected Jesus, he, he says, my Lord and my God. For the people that say that Jesus never claimed to be God or Jesus wasn't God or whatever, uh, you got a problem right here. Because um, if Jesus is not God, shouldn't he say, do not call me that? Like, wouldn't that be blasphemous to call not God, God? Um, but Jesus doesn't even blink an eye when he says, my Lord and my God. Why? Because Jesus is the Lord and the God of all the universe. Uh, Jesus is God. And this is one example of many in the Bible that r reminds us that, that Jesus is uh, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. Well, um, all that to say, um, his, uh, the first point here is his faith came by hearing it. And that's something we need to remember. And that's why it's important, brothers, that you be men of the word. You know, um, whether it's reading the word daily on your own, you know, volition, or, uh, you know, doing what we're doing right now, getting together corporately and studying scripture. Um, you know, um, we could be a men's group that sit around and talk about, you know, men's issues and stuff like that. But I think the key is how much scripture how much scripture can we cover in one morning? Um, I think you can't get enough scripture um, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not Brett's fine points or uh, interesting discussions or things like that. No, the faith comes when you read scripture. And that's why we need to pack scripture into our lives. Corporately as a church, personally. Um, let me just remind you, we've done whole t studies on this, but are you reading the word with your wives, you husbands? Um, that's something we're called to do. Um, how did Jesus love his bride? It says he washed his bride in the water of the word um, there in Ephesians 5.25. Um, do you read the scriptures with your wives? Um, that's something that we should be doing. Um, and, and there's a cleansing effect that happens as your marriage, some of you are like, well, Brett, I would do that, but my marriage stinks. Do you, want, do you realize how stupid that is? That's like saying my socks stink um, and I don't wanna wash them. I'm just gonna keep wearing my socks and hope they start smelling better. Nope, you gotta wash them. Just like it says, husbands are to wash our wives and our marriages in the water of the word. There's a cleansing effect that takes place. And, and also, what about dads? Are you guys doing family devos with your kids? Because if you want your kids to walk with the Lord, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you get together with your kids uh, around the dinner table, you know, that was usually when we would do it is after we'd finished dinner, I'd share a little Bible story or read a little scripture and talk with the kids about what the Lord's doing in their lives and, and, and relate the scriptures to them. Um, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I wanted my kids to have faith in Christ. Um, faith doesn't come by forcing your children to go to church or telling them to believe in God. Um, that, that's, not, that's not how real faith is built. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The second thing we learn from Blind Bart is his faith also, his hope, I should say, his hope came by crying. Um, interesting that he cries out. It says that in the, the, the second part of verse 47. Um, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. What, what does that make you think of when a man cries out? Um, it's kind of like the guy's desperate, right? When you see a man cry out, um, that's, that's really something. It's, it is different. You know, I've seen women cry out um, and, um, and there, it takes a little less, um, you know, I've noticed, and this is gonna be very, probably considered uh, 
toxic masculinity to say such a thing, but, um, but women cry out eat more easily than men, I've noticed. Uh, um, it is funny though, when you see a man cry out, when you scare a guy, he's like, ah! Like, oh, that's a little scary to watch a guy freak out like that. But, but when a man cries out, hmm, that's interesting. The idea is when a man cries out, uh, there's desperation, desperation. Um, is there value in crying out? I believe there is. This guy is kind of at his end. He's, he's a blind beggar and he cries out. Uh, he's not just saying, um, excuse me, uh, can I find talk to Jesus, please? No, he's crying out, Jesus, thou son of David. Like this guy's crying out. Um, you know, he, he could have, instead of crying out in hope, uh, he could have just rationalized and said, well, Jesus came to Jericho, but now he's on his way out and I missed him. And I guess I'm, I can't have any help. Or he could have not believed that Jesus would even care about a poor blind beggar. And so he's not gonna cry out because nobody cares, Jesus wouldn't care. But, um, but crying out to the Lord, um, you know, we, we even talk about the, the psalmist, this man cried, the psalmist said, David was a man's man. I don't think any of us would go to David and say, we kind of think you're a wimp because you cried out unto the Lord. Um, David, was he a wimp? Um, how many foreskins did he get in a bag? He killed how many guys? And he cut their foreskins off, put them in a bag and gave them to, like, that's kind of like, you just don't do that every day. That's not a, that's not a, like, I, I think you'd be a little nervous to try to insult David as not being a man's man. Um, killed tens of thousands of soldiers. Uh, that's the guy David was, including Goliath the giant. So. Not a, not a wimp, but he was also a guy who cried out unto the Lord. Um, that's something that's interesting. Um, even Jesus cried out as, a, as, as the, you know, as God in the flesh, Jesus being a man, 100% man, 100% God, one of those amazing mysteries of the Trinity. Hebrews chapter five, verse seven says this, and I, I like the ESV version on this particular one. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Um, I wonder if some of you guys would have come up to Jesus and said, hey man, don't be so dramatic. Um, why are you so emotional? Stop being emotional. Would we have said that to Jesus? Um, I hope not, because Jesus knows exactly what he's doing and he knew what was needed and beneficial at all times. So when he was suffering, he offered up prayers and supplications, but it wasn't just some little dutiful, God is good, God is good, we thank for the food, amen. He was crying out with tears and check this out. It says, to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. There was a reverence, but there was also a passion in Jesus' crying out uh, before the Lord. I wonder if some of us, that might be part of our problem. It says the Lord, the Father in heaven, heard the Son, Jesus, because of his reverence. And it seems the reverence was because of his cries and his tears. I wonder if some of us maybe lack a real passion. And so we kind of tack on a verse, oh Lord, help me with my struggle. Um, but we don't really have a passion about it or or an intensity or a reverence before the true and living God. And I wonder, the Lord heard Jesus because of his reverence. I wonder if we need to maybe pack a little more reality and get to a place, not just fake emotion, but to, to come before the Lord with, with a real true heart and brokenness before God. Um, that's something that I think this blind beggar, it's like he put aside all of his pride and just starts crying out to the Lord because he needed help and he hadn't been helped thus far. So his hope 
came by crying. But number three on our list, his answer, his answer came by after persisting. I love this guy's for his persistence. Notice the enthusiasm that he had, even when others tried to discourage him. It says in verses uh, 48 uh, through 51, many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like I picture blind Bart, you know, he's like pretty loud. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Hey, knock it off, you blind beggar. Get out of our way and stop making noise. And what does he do? cries louder, Jesus, like, like he, he gets even more intense and more passionate. Um, he didn't let other people sort of pull down his, his hope and his faith by their discouragement. There's a lot of people that wanna pull you down, take you down a notch, people you work with, family members that wanna see you go down if you know, oh, knock it off, stop, the, you know, Mr. Passionate about the Lord or Mr. Faithful or trying to do family devotions. Man, I, I know some of your wives might even kind of mock you as you're like, uh, hey honey, let, let's read the word together. Oh, Mr. Holy Moly, what are you now, Pastor Brett? <laughs> Reading your Bible? Um, I know some of your wives can be kind of brutal that way. I've seen that. Uh, I know guys that have said, I wanted to read the, the scriptures with my wife, but she sort of made it awkward because she knows that I'm not always perfect and I, I kick the dog once in a while and I'm, I'm sort of a jerk sometimes and I drive too fast and, and, and she knows I'm a sinner. And so, so she sort of mocks when I try. Don't be discouraged, cry all the louder. Um, when you read the scriptures, because man, don't let people bring you down, but, but just keep persisting. I love this guy for his persistence. Um, Colossians 3, 23, it says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Um, there's an interesting, funny little Old Testament story. Remember the Old Testament stories are pictures of New Testament truths. But there's a story um, that goes back into 2 Kings, Elisha the prophet, uh, comes to the king of Israel and tells him to do something that's kind of odd, you know, um, uh, because, you know, the Syrians uh, had attacked or were attacking uh, Israel. And so the king's sort of consulting with Elisha, the prophet, what are we gonna do and all this stuff. But then, they're, so they're up in this, you know, tower looking down, kind of ready to go to battle. But Elisha tells the king to do something. I'll show you, it's just Second Kings here, chapter 13, verses 18 and 19. It says, um, the, you know, Elisha says, take the arrows, so he's got these arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. In other words, smash the arrows on the ground. Um, and so he smote thrice and then stopped. The idea stayed or stopped. And the man of God, that's Elisha, was wroth with him and said, thou shouldest smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but three times. Isn't that a weird little story? Uh, what's going on there with the smashing of the arrows? Um, I believe this is Elisha the prophet showing the king that he was sort of a half-hearted dude. He wasn't doing things heartily. It's like, okay, smash the arrows. And he goes, tap, tap, tap. He, he, he taps them three times. And he says, well, you're gonna have three victories, but that's all you get because you were, you were sort of um, lacking that enthusiasm. You're supposed to do stuff with gumption. You're supposed to do things heartily and you're doing things half-heartedly. Um, and, and because of that, you're gonna have a sort of a half-hearted victory. In fact, you're only gonna get three victories and you needed six or seven. You should have done it more, five or six times, he says. Um, 
I wonder if some of, some of us are, you know, we're just so chill, you know, in our culture. Ah, yeah, yeah, I love the Lord, that's great. And I go to church and that's all cool. But, but we, we don't have that passion and that zeal and that enthusiasm. Um, man, uh, that's something we all need. We need to be enthusiastic. Um, um, by the way, um, um, that's, that's not only seen here uh, persisting, even though people were discouraging him, he just enthusiastically pushed. But that also leads us into the next point. Uh, number four, his help came after jumping. Um, he's enthusiastic in that he didn't just persist, uh, even though they were discouraging, but he jumps up. It says in verse 50, um, it says he, uh, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. He said, I, don't, I don't see jumping there. Interesting, the word in the Greek text there for rose is um, more often translated as springing up. He sprang up to his feet. Um, I love that. Uh, casting away his garment, rose up. Spring, he would spring up. Um, he, he had to move to Jesus on his own. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus wants you to get up and move or jump up and move uh, before he's actually gonna help you. Uh, there's that old saying we've talked about before, without him, you can't. But without us, he won't. Um, sometimes it takes you to get up and do stuff before you actually see good fruit in your lives. And um, I, I, I've seen where guys make the mistake of sitting around just saying, well, Lord, I'm open to you doing something and I'll just sit here and wait. And maybe if you bless my life, that's great. I'll, until then, I'll just play more Call of Duty you know, in the basement of my mother's house. Um, uh, no, sometimes you gotta get up and do something, spring up and try things. I love Jonathan and his armor bearer. You know, everybody else is snoozing in the morning, but Jonathan says, wakes up his armor, hey, let's go see if the Lord is in this. Let's, let's, let's you and I just, let's go take on the whole army of the Philistines by ourselves. And what's even more amazing is the armor bearer said, cool, let's go. And you know the story, Jonathan goes out and you know, he, he, he goes to where there's this big kind of cliff and the Philistines are way up at the top of the cliff camping out there at the top of the mountain. And they come up with this, what I would call sort of a hairbrain plan. Okay, here's what we'll do. We'll reveal ourselves to the Philistines. Hey Philistines, you losers, we're down here. Um, and, and, then, and then if they say to us, you guys come up here and we'll show you a thing or two then we're gonna go up, we're gonna climb the mountain and we're gonna fight them. But if they say, wait right there, we're gonna come down and we're gonna thump you guys, then run for your life, the Lord's not in this. That was their game plan. I would have reversed it because who wants to run up a hill? You know what I mean? You run up a hill and then fight a battle. I'd rather let them come down and uh, I'll just be resting and, uh, and then be ready. But, but I love it. You know the story, the Philistines said, come up here, you little you know, wimps. And Jonathan, his armor, bolted up the mountain and wiped out the whole Philistine army. The rest of the guys woke up from the army and came back and they just, they just were able to clean up all the spoil from the battle that Jonathan and his armor bearer had. It's a great story of the Bible, but I love it. The Lord rewards men that are willing to spring up to action and spring into something and, and do stuff that takes a little bit of energy. This guy had to move to Jesus on his own. Um, and the question you might ask yourself, do we sit around and wait for someone to help us? Over, uh, over to Jesus or do you just spring up enthusiastically? I've used that word a lot because he enthusiastically um, kept pursuing even though people tried to discourage him and he enthusiastically jumped up and, and went to Jesus. I love that. 
The word enthusiasm comes from the Greek words entheos. That's where the word enthusiasm comes, entheos, which means in God. Isn't that cool? The word enthusiasm comes from the word in God. How are you on the enthusiasm level? Um, I know that's not some of our nature to be enthusiastic. Some of you guys are, well, I'm just gonna say it, bumps on a log. You just enjoy, just kind of, and don't wanna get too excited about anything. But you know, I think that you gotta fix that. I think, well, Brad, I'm just not an enthusiastic guy like you. Well, can I just tell you, if you know me, I had, I've had to, over the years, push myself to be enthusiastic about things I'm not really enthusiastic about um, because I know they actually matter. And I'm thankful that I had men in my life to say, Brett, you need to be more enthusiastic about that. And they weren't afraid to tell me that stuff. Um, I remember when I was a young pastor, um, uh, you know, I, I was licensed and ordained by the time I was 19. I was marrying and burying and doing all the pastoral duties of a large church. I was assistant pastor in there. And, but, but I remember when I'd get in a big group of pastors, I'd, I'd kind of just sort of clam up because I didn't want to really pray in front of all these old seasoned pastors because they knew the scriptures so well. And I was afraid I'd say something stupid. So I just kind of sit there and pray with them. But I remember my pastor came up and said, hey, um, Brad, I noticed you're not praying. You need to get into prayer. You're a pastor. It's time to pray. Um, and, and it wasn't this mean-spirited thing. It was kind of like that light a fire under me saying, Brett, you know, prayer is powerful and you need to learn how to pray. And he would also say, you need to learn to agree in prayer. Well, what is agreeing in prayer? It's to be enthusiastic about other people praying. Um, have you thought about that? Does anybody remember what Paul was talking about there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 when you know, the church was debating about which one's more important, speaking uh, prayers in normal language or speaking in tongues. It's funny how the speaking in tongues gets so much press and everybody talks, oh, that speaking in tongues and everybody gets all up in a tizzy about that. But Paul made the precedent, man, I, I, he said, I speak in tongues more than all you guys, but which, which one's more important? Paul made the point that, man, speaking words of understanding in the church way more important than speaking in tongues. You can go to some churches and that's almost all you ever see is people speaking in tongues and the pastor has to put down his Bible and wait for hours while people are just speaking in tongues. Uh, That's not really what Paul uh, spoke of there in 1 Corinthians 14. Does anybody remember what should be one of the results of men praying in a group like this when we're praying? What should be one of the things that helps when we're speaking of a language that everybody understands? What's one of the results of that? Anybody remember? The saying of, nobody, hello? The saying of amen. So that men can say amen to the other prayers that we're listening to. You can say amen. See, there's something about this agreeing in prayer that we, uh, it's an enthusiasm thing. When someone's praying, are you in agreement? Are you thinking through the prayer? You're like, when the prayer's done, we'll get back into this uh, uh, because prayer is kind of a waste of time. Some guys kind of have that attitude. It's an apathetic sort of apathy about prayer, but we're supposed to actually be agreeing in prayer. And the saying of amen is part of the results of, of, of what happens when you're praying together as men in the church. There should be the saying of amen. Um, oh, you mean like at the very end of the prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. Is that what we do? Well, that, that's cool if you wanna do that. But the idea of the saying amen was something they did through the prayer. Um, as, some, as something was prayed, then the men would say, Amen. Uh, And the word amen means so be it. Let it be so. We're agreeing. 
there was a sort of engagement and active participation. That's something that we need to do with enthusiasm. Um, amen. Yes, great. Uh, I didn't say that during the teaching though. Um, no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I like when guys say amen, I really do. I think, and that's, that's true too, speaking words of understanding. Well, that's great. So his help came after jumping. Uh, enthusiasm, entheos in God. Um, uh, number five, his healing came by asking. And I know this goes without saying, but um, you know, uh, asking is kind of what you're supposed to do. It says there, um, why, why did Jesus even give him the opportunity to ask what he wants? Because did Jesus already know what his need was before he asked? Well, yeah. But I, I find it interesting, Jesus says in verse 51, what wilt thou that I should do to thee? Um, whenever God, or you know, even the same, Jesus says something like this, I'm always interested in the way people answer. You know, like when the Lord approached Solomon and said, man, uh, Solomon, I'm gonna bless you with, uh, you, you get kind of one wish, what do you want? What do you want me to do? And Solomon, you know, asked for wisdom. And then the Lord said, well, because you asked for wisdom instead of riches and all that other stuff, I'm gonna give you riches and all the other stuff and wisdom, like, like it's interesting what people ask for. Um, but Jesus gives this guy an opportunity to ask for help. And I think the Lord would, would do the same for you. Sometimes I think the Lord wants you to ask before you actually see the result or the blessing. Um, and that's why in James chapter four, that classic little section of that verse, it says, you have not because you ask not, James 4, 2. So I love this, you know, he had to articulate his need. And some of you maybe haven't really taken time to really pray for the needs that you really have. Maybe it would do us all well as brothers to pray detailed prayers of what you actually feel the needs are. Um, you know, if you're, if you're suffering from, you know, being stuck in an addiction and, and you're like, yeah, Lord help me with my sins. Well, that's a general prayer. But what if you said, prayed more like this, Lord help me to have victory over this fleshly sinful lust and pornography. Lord, help me to be wise when I um, you know, use my you know, gadgets and computers and stuff. Lord, show me how to be better at accountability and like literally ask everything and talk with the Lord about it with enthusiasm and ask. You have not because you ask not. Um, I wonder if, if some of us need to spend a little more time in prayer just asking and, and articulating, um, well, Brett, the Lord already knows what I need. The Bible even says that. He already knows what I need before I even ask. Well, then why does the Bible also say, you have not because you ask not? Jesus knew what this guy needed, but he still wanted him to articulate his need. Lord, that I might receive my sight. His healing came by asking. Um, have you spent time, brothers, asking the Lord to do the things that you perceive that you need. And by the way, I always would say, when you ask the Lord of things, also say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Even as Jesus taught us to pray. Because sometimes you and I ask for stupid things and the Lord might just give you that thing. Uh, so you gotta kind of say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. That's kind of an important part of asking. So his healing came by asking. Uh, lastly, number six, his life was changed by following. Um, it says here in verse 52, um, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now, this is kind of funny to me because what did Jesus tell him to do? He said, now go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And what does the guy do? Follows Jesus. 
Um, but I, I like that because he says, what is my way? Well, it's to follow you. <laughs> I'm gonna follow you, that's my new way. So go thy way. Okay, I'll go thy way, uh, your way. That's the way I wanna go. Um, and I love this guy for that. There were times where Jesus said, no, you can't follow me. You know, like the demon possessed guy in, in, in Mark, I think what is it, chapter five, where the um, demon possessed guy, and it's funny how Jesus answers prayers to the people. Um, you know, the people of that town said, get out of our town. That was their prayer to Jesus. And he says, okay, I'll leave. Um, but then the, the demon possessed guy, oh, I wanna follow you. And Jesus said, no, you can't. Um, because I want you to stay here and declare what the Lord has done. You know, like it's like the Lord has his plans and his purposes. But, um, but I love this guy. He, he chooses to follow Jesus and be a Jesus follower. Um, you know, he, he received healing from Jesus, but then he followed after Jesus. Um, you know, and, and, um, and but, you know, Jesus, by saying this, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Um, this emphasizes the necessity of faith, how important faith is. Um, blind Bart had the kind of faith that pleases God, a wholehearted trust, um, you know, uh, in, in the healer, Jesus. Um, it, sh it shows us again, you know, I think um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse uh, six, uh, it says there that he, the Lord, is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says the Lord rewards those that diligently seek him. And that's what we see in Blind Bart. He was a diligent guy. He was a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road, nothing going on. People thought he was a loser so much that they said, hey, pipe down, stop making noise. Um, but because he was a diligent seeker of Jesus, he ends up receiving his sight. Um, and Blind Bart understood the truth of earnestly seeking the Lord and his actions that reflected a kind of faith that was pleasing to God. It pleased the Lord. Um, here's a question for you guys. You know, are you um, diligently seeking the Lord in these days? Um, I don't know about you, but I, I think we're living in days where we should be seeking the Lord more than ever. Um, these are dark times. Uh, some of us should be seeking the Lord how to fill our gas tank next week. Um, <laughs> except for you guys with the Priuses. Uh, you guys are doing... Doing fine, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, 150 bucks to fill up some of your trucks, man, I'll tell you. Um, you know, uh, get the defibrillators out. Uh, it's, it's tough. But, but also just the way of this world, things that are going on. Man, we as Christ followers, as men, should be those who diligently, like, like with this persistence and, and this uh, passion that Blind Bart had, I feel like maybe that lacks a little bit in a modern man here in America, especially in our place just to be sort of chilled out and kind of, eh, yeah, we'll seek the Lord. We'll, we'll go to church. We'll sit, sit down and listen to a Bible study or whatever. But what about the passionate, diligent seeking of the Lord? That's something you have to ask yourself. And, and when do you do that? Have you carved out time for that, to seek the Lord and to pray, pray and, and to cry out to the Lord? Um, you know, I don't know about you guys, uh, but it's hard to find sometimes a quiet place to to cry out to the Lord. You wanna know my favorite place is my truck. Uh, you know, driving around, uh, you, can, you can pray while you're driving. You don't have to close your eyes to pray. Just, just a heads up for that. Um, you can pray with your eyes wide open going, you know, uh, 55 saves lives uh, down the road. Uh, you, you can do that. But um, I love praying in my truck. And sometimes it's good just to pull over somewhere and just pray and seek the Lord. Um, the reason I say that is because it's, it's one of the few places you can kind of, you know, talk to the Lord and, and um, 
You know, it's great. I remember when I used to do this years and years ago, I'd pray in my, my vehicle and people probably thought I was nuts talking to myself. Now, uh, in modern days, everybody thinks you're talking on your cell phone. So it's great. Uh, you can just talk to the Lord and it's all good. Um, you might get a ticket if you're driving and you're talking. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. But, um, but I wonder if maybe uh, you made a more regular thing out of seeking the Lord and, and learning from Blind Bart, you know, this passionate, enthusiastic, pressing in, drawing near, asking, seeking. Uh, the Lord says, I will reward those. I'm a rewarder of them that diligently seek after the Lord. That's what the Lord would have us do. So with that said, man, um, would you do that? Just think about it, Lord, so when am I gonna do that? Um, and, and don't just, you know, don't just say, okay, I think I'll seek the Lord more. Like literally ask yourself right now, when am I gonna do that? Maybe some of you need to put it in on your schedule and say, okay, I'm gonna do this, you know, at this time of the week, I'm gonna carve out this time and I'm gonna make sure I have quiet time and, uh, and, and seek the Lord and press in and, and let the, the requests that I have, uh, the things that I'm, I'm feeling, man, I'm, I'm lacking, you have not because you ask not. Man, make a list. Uh, do you have a prayer list going? Um, there's several ways to do this. You know, um, a lot of you with your smartphones, you can just go into your notes and just start making a prayer list. I, I love how your notes can be just kind of an ongoing list there uh, digitally and just keep your prayer requests going. Um, you know what, you, you, if you wanna do, try something fun, get your notes going and have the check boxes. And when those prayers are answered by the Lord, you can actually literally put a check next to it. Um, I've actually been shocked at how many checks on the boxes that I was praying for over the years. I can actually say, man, the Lord's covered that. The Lord answered that prayer. And, and um, I, I've heard clearly from the Lord. If you don't write it down, you don't, you don't really remember what the Lord's done. Um, you, you kind of been praying sort of glibly about, oh, I'm praying for this, praying for that. And then when the Lord answers it, you don't really have a record of it. So you forget that, wow, God really did answer that prayer. There's something kind of cool about checking the box. Some of you, if you're not as digital, that's cool. Um, you know what I love about our Bibles? A lot of your Bibles have a lot of blank pages, you know, in the back and areas where you can write stuff down. Make your prayer list inside your Bible and start writing down some of the things that you're concerned about or that you're praying about or people that you're praying for. So start making a prayer list and diligently seeking the Lord about those issues and those people. And mark my words, um, even as blind Bart diligently sought the Lord and the Lord met him right where he was at. I, I know that the Lord will do that for you guys too. Um, I, I wonder how much the, we sell short uh, the power of God. I wonder how much we lack because we're unwilling to just diligently seek the Lord. So the key is, is to be like, uh, like Jesus, acknowledging this, this blind Bart, he was a man of true faith. Jesus said that, your faith. This is, this is why you're getting what you want is because you're a man of faith. There's, uh, and, and, and that's what we need to be, men of faith, pressing in, drawing near, uh, seeking after the Lord. That's the, that's the goal. So may the Lord give us all ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the men of Athey Creek. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Oh Lord, it's, it's uh, true that um, sometimes we really do lack faith. But Lord, we're thankful that you give us the tools um, to get the job done. You tell us faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. And so I pray that we'd be men of your word. Um, Lord, that this group of guys, we'd find ourselves hungering and thirsting for your word, um, to take it in and to read it, to study it, to learn from it, um, that our faith might be built up and strengthened. And then like blind Bart, that we'd be willing to cry out, let our requests be made known 
And um, Lord, to know that you're the answerer of prayers, that you, you don't uh, turn a deaf ear to the needs of your people. Um, Lord, I pray that like, like blind Bart, that we would see, um, that our eyes would be opened and that we would see clearly spiritually the things that are dim to us right now. Um, Lord, in these dark days, I pray that these men would be pillars <clears throat> of strength in their homes for their <clears throat> children and their wives and their family members, Lord, that these guys would, would represent stability in shaky days, um, that, that, um, that, that stability wouldn't just be from our own ingenuity or smartness or ability, but Lord, that, that strength would come from you, um, for that's where true strength lies, Lord. So I pray your blessing upon my brothers. Help us to be men of faith, men of prayer, seeking after you, Lord, I pray. Help us with this in Jesus' name, amen.